0: Amen. The fans came on and all the hot people said amen. amen. And all the cold people are like, what are they doing? So I, I got AC on my phone, man. I'm about to turn that on too. What are we doing here? My wife, no. What happened to my sermon? All right. You guys excited to be here this morning? Yeah, yeah we'll see. <laughs> we will find out. All right. Let's pray over this sermon. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we think of you your word. We think that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, as you've given me this word in my heart, God, I pray that it would come out and it would be you. Holy Spirit, speak through me this morning. God, I pray for those people that are here this morning that need this word. God, I pray that it goes down in and converts them and change them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 11. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent his messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said, Uriah, go down into your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, And a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And David said, Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter saying, send Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot him from the wall? Excuse me, shoot from the wall. Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Thebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, "Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also." So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had been sent by him. And the messenger said to David, "Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field, and we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate." The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Amen. Dang it. David. For those of you that are just joining us, we we've been going through 1st and 2nd Samuel now for man, it's been almost 2 years. And this is what we do, man, we go through uh story by story and today we got a humdinger, man. This is a this is a story. I mean, there as far as Bible stories are concerned with sin, Adam and Eve, David and Bathsheba, man, those are the headliners. These are the ones that people talk about and and pastors have preached about. Uh, If you're here this morning, especially those of you that are here for the first time, I need you to believe that God has you here for a purpose. Out of all the Sundays that you could have been here, praise the Lord, you are here today. (laughs) Praise God. It's good. Because I didn't plan it, but God did. Here's what I love about this story is that Uh, The the bible is the most truthful book in the world in that our heroes still have the worst things recorded about them If i'm writing this bible i'd be like cut that part out guys I mean we we want david to look good. Let's not put this thing in here and make david look bad This story is very very simple David is king of israel and he sees a woman that is not his wife and decides i'm going to make her my wife And what's the easiest plan kill her husband send him out to war? And so that's what he does, and he sends this poor guy Uriah out to war and uh, makes this woman Bathsheba his wife, and it's despicable, it's horrible. Uh, At the end of the scripture it says, "And, and God was displeased with David for what he had done. And when I read a story like this, I always think like, man, how could this thing have ended differently? How could this story have not even ended up in the Bible? While encouraging as it may be to us that have ever fallen into sin, I would have appreciated David to not have to go through this to get to the point. Now, chapter 11 and chapter 12 should really go together because next week is the redemption, right? He talks to the prophet Nathan and he uh, repents and comes to his senses and everything else. But that ain't this week. (laughs) You got to come back next week for part two because I I, I really want to dig in for a moment here about David and say, you know what? Uh, This this really could have ended differently. Um, The the crux that we're going to work from today is from uh, 11.3. It says, so David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, someone said, isn't this Bathsheba? Isn't this Uriah's wife? I don't know who that someone was. I don't, I don't know uh, their name. I don't know what they were. But here's what I do know. There was someone in the room that stood up and said, hold on a second. I don't think that you should do this. And someone said, see, even before this happened, I think someone should have said to David, David, you need to guard yourself. You need to guard yourself. David had come off some really big victories. He had quite the trajectory of his life. He started out from shepherd boy to Goliath slayer to being pursued by Saul to now he's the king of Israel. And someone should have said to him, you know what, David, man, you better put some guardrails around your life. You should probably guard yourself in such a way to make sure that you're not going to fall into this despicable sin. He went from nothing to charge of Israel and, and many people have conjectured and asked, what, what led up to this point in David's life? And, and the scriptures are somewhat silent and that they, they have, have, have led up to this point. There's not really a clear, distinctive word that says this is the reason why this happened, but most commentators agree it was pride that led up to this escapade. It was pride. Because this is what pride does. Pride says, you know what, I'm untouchable. Pride says, I can't do no wrong. Pride says, I'm king now. And and if I see something that I want, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do whatever I want. Pride can bring anyone to think they are invincible. And, and you would agree that we see it in leaders all the time in inside and outside the church. We see uh, pastors or presidents or uh, second shift assistant supervisors like any anybody that is in a position of power gets to this point that feels like well You know, I'm untouchable. I can I can do whatever I want and I'm not gonna have anybody tell me to live how I want to live They start to feel like they can get away with anything, so they try to get away with anything and they give themselves over to the desires of their flesh. Now, let me say this, this story is a story about sexual sin, but it's a story about sin in the sense that like, just because you don't give yourself over to sexual sin doesn't mean that you don't give yourself over to sin. David would not have ended up in this predicament if he had guarded himself, just wouldn't have happened. Like if he would have surrounded himself with people and said, you know what, guys, I am king now and I need you guys to keep me in check, man. I need you, if, if something starts to go sideways, put me in my place. I do not want the, my life to go in the wrong direction. If David had realized the pressures of life and the success of life and the dangers of life, he would have guarded himself and put guardrails uh, around his life so he wouldn't become a guy who murders somebody's husband so he can have relations with his wife. I mean, it's just bad. Now, I love in the Bible, in, in, in Deuteronomy 28, God said this. Now, God, I love the scriptures because God, Amen. there's not anything that's not covered in the scriptures. Deuteronomy 22:8. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Now, how does that scripture pertain to today? The God of this universe that loves you, loves me, and created us all, when he was writing uh, the the Bible, he said, you know what? Why don't we include a part when people have construction of their house, and they would understand that if they build a house, and they don't put a a barrier, if they don't put a wall, if they don't put a railing, a parapet, the, the, the King James calls it a battlement, If he doesn't put something around the roof of his house and someone falls over and dies, I'm going to hold him accountable because he knew the dangers involved and he didn't put barriers in place to protect other people. So I'm going to hold him accountable to the bloodshed of someone that fell off his roof because he knew a roof was a dangerous place. He should put up a railing and I'm going to hold him accountable to that. Now, if God's going to hold somebody accountable for the construction of their home, how much more so would God hold somebody accountable for the construction of their spiritual life? You know the dangers, man. You know the dangers that behold people fall off roofs. Put up a guardrail. It it goes in Exodus uh, 21, uh, 28 and 29. It talks about how if you have an oxen that you know that gores people, Then and you let this oxen out and he gores somebody, you're going to get in trouble because you knew. You knew that's what this thing did. And you can't say, well, I didn't know what was going on. on. You You knew. If God holds you accountable for building your house and holds you accountable for your oxen, how can God not hold you accountable for a spiritual life that says, well, I'm not really going to worry about it so much. I'm just kind of kind of walk through what I walk through. Friend, there is accountability to lack of preparation. You know what's going to happen in your life. David was untouchable at this point and he decides to touch whatever he wants. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. I love in Isaiah chapter two eleven uh, through twelve and again, this pertains to Isaiah and Israel, but the heart behind it stays the same: The lofty looks of a man shall be humbled, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day." Verse 12, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. God does not appreciate nor does he encourage a sense of loftiness and pride in his people. And there will come a day where God will cast down the, prou- the, the prideful and he will cast them down to a place because God is the only one that wants to be glorified in him alone. What does it mean to you? Are you setting up guardrails and parapets in your life? Are you watching your success? Because sometimes success is scarier than failure and people will self-destruct out of fear. And then they'll go start on this trajectory in, in their lives and they'll start to have success and they'll start to experience things. And then and then they just don't realize like, hey man, maybe I should set up some guardrails around my life. Maybe I should set up a way to make sure that I don't fall off of a roof. Maybe I should make up a way that my oxen doesn't gore somebody. Maybe I should uh, look and see at myself and say, you know what, there's some pride that's coming up because you know I've started to experience a measure of success and I need to surround myself around people that are gonna keep me from destroying myself. We know the weak areas of our life, but we pretend that we don't need the guardrails. I don't know why Christians think this way, to think like, well, you know, I'm safe, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and, you know, I'm a tongue-talking, tongue-waving, making it happen kind of Christian. Ain't nothing going to come near me. Pride comes before destruction. You know, what are you going to do? Hand an alcoholic a bottle and say, just put this in your back pocket. You'll never, you've been delivered, but just carry it around for the next 50 years. You ain't going to do that. Obadiah 1, 3 and 4, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Pride can come in many forms. But, But when it comes to the sins that entangle, we think we're stronger than we are. And hear me, church, God can save, he can deliver, he can set free, he can change. But wrong wrong place, wrong time, wrong situation, none of us are as strong as we think we are. And and if you think you're stronger than that situation, oh my gosh, would you hear my heart this morning? You are not that strong. Ask me how I know. You are not that strong. I've seen marriages destroyed, kids in jail, total and complete destruction because of lack of guardrails. Do not lie to yourself. Don't don't lie to people and say, oh, I'm good, man. I don't need that kind of protection. No, do not go to stupid places with stupid people doing stupid things at stupid times. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it, man. You know my son is almost twenty years old, and he lives with us he 's going to college last month. his friends wanted to go down to Seattle at night and catch a show or whatever. Dad we're going down to Seattle. I'm like, "No, you are not."' You're like hey, he's twenty years old. He sure is living in my house eating my food. you ain't going there stupid places at stupid times with stupid people doing stupid things nothing good happens between the hours of midnight and 5am nothing there's nothing good that happens you should be home asleep The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now it's talking about sexual immorality, but it should be that way in all manner of sin. Just flee, just run, have nothing to do with it. Be be embarrassingly against it in such a way that other people are like, man, what is your problem? I'm fleeing. I don't want nothing to do with this thing. I heard a preacher say one time that, you know, and he was a more of a national preacher, and so he had a problem with, uh, you know, women coming on to him. And he said he did the same thing. Every time he was somewhere, even in a room full of people, women would come up and whisper in his ear. And he treated them all the same. If they said something inappropriate they shouldn't be saying, trying to lead him down a path, he would look at them and go, Jezebel, away from me. <laughs> nothing to do with it man don't dabble in it no one falls in the Grand Canyon from Texas no one no one falls in the Grand Canyon from Texas it just doesn't happen See, someone should have said to David, man, stay in the fight, man. Don't give up. Don't just give yourself over to this. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. I I find that very funny. (laughs) At the time the kings go to battle, hey, what are y'all doing this spring? Going to put some moss killer on the lawn then we go into war. Like, that's what we do. (laughs) It's just, that's what they did in the Bible. It's like some guys, you know, went to the factory. Some guys went here. Kings, they go to war. That's what they do. That's like, it's my job. Not only did David not guard himself, he took himself out of the fight. He never should have even been at his house during this time. If he had been doing what he was supposed to be doing, it never would have been an issue. He was supposed to be at war, but he chose to be at home at the time when kings go out to battle David says well, I don't need to do that send somebody else I'm gonna be up here hanging out on my roof trying to find ways to get into trouble Ecclesiastes 3 8 says a time to love and a time to hate a time of war and a time of peace And this part of the Bible says that war was commonplace. We war in the spring again I just find that amusing that like there we don't war during the winter spring. That's when we go to war That's what we do I like to think about David and think, was he scared? Was, was, was he lazy? Was it not the right time? I mean, here, here's what's interesting about the scripture is that it says that he was there on the roof and he looked down and he saw her. So we know it wasn't nighttime. Right, Because if, if, if it was nighttime, uh, he, he couldn't have seen her. right? They don't have floodlights back then. Um, and so it must have been during the day. And it says that he had gotten out of his bed. So I'm like, bro, what are you doing sleeping during the day? Like, not only are you not in the fight, but you're being lazy. You're doing nothing. You, you should have done differently. Now, here's what I want you to see in this scripture. And it's this. This right here is a decision point when he's on the roof. Okay. He gave up on the physical war, but there's a moment right here where there's a war that's going on with his eyes. He's up there, he's on the roof, he sees her, and then he has a decision where he can say like, okay, I'm, I'm either going to do something different or I'm going to stay in my same trajectory. He had a choice. He had to make a decision. I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. And friend, he chose the wrong direction. There was a war for his eyes where this story could have taken a different direction. Turn. Now, some commentators say Bathsheba enticed him. And, and just a little side note, if you're a woman, show modesty and cover up what God gave you. As a man, I'll say, you know, women are still pretty even when they're clothed. And so a man has to learn to shake his eyes and do the bounce. Like, dude, not doing that. Like, I'm not going there. I'm not looking there. And that's not what I'm going to do. David had a mental fight here, a mental choice here. Fight or flounder. He chose flounder. He gave himself over to lust. Now let me say this, man: this lust battle is not just a man thing. You women, or yeah. listen, I was in the army with women. I know. How, I know. You know what I mean. Some of y'all are got to listen to this word as well. I don't want someone coming out like, "Uh, oh, he's just talking to the men," and, and I'm, sh- I'm not shaming, man. Control your eyes. It's the window to the soul. Yeah. But he didn't fight. He floundered. I, I really would have appreciated the story taking a turn and being like, and David went inside and he prayed and he fasted. And he talked to his friends and said, help me. I don't want to do this. And then he gave himself over to it, but he didn't. He just gave himself over to it. He, he just gave up the fight. Joel three nine proclaim this amongst the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all of the men of war draw near, let them come up. Friend, this was a war for his soul and his prosperity and he didn't even fight it. His posterity, not prosperity. He didn't even fight it. He just gave himself over to it. Come on, David, man, stay in the fight. Don't give up. What does it mean to you? Are you in the fight or are you under dereliction of duty? Have you just given yourself over to sin or are you still fighting it? I know this morning, just based on the size of the crowd, some of you here this morning are living in constant, unrepentant sin. And you, you're not even fighting it anymore. You're identifying with it. You're saying, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. Instead of staying in the fight, your soul is at stake. Your future is at stake. The legacy of your family is at stake. Fight at all costs. Fight. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you also were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Most people aren't in the fight, man. They just let it control them like, well, you know, I'm just not going to fight it anymore. And they think that people that are, are, are winning the fight are just get some special measure of grace. It's not that way, man they are fighting at every turn. Some of us are just a weekend away from destruction. Like literally like a bad, win- can I get an amen? Like, come on, man, get in the fight. Your soul matters. And there's always a window. There's a, there's a point where it starts. And if you looked back at the times that you made bad decisions, you can look back and be like, dude, this was the point. You know, I share stories with you guys, again, just because I want to I be vulnerable so that you guys will receive the message, but sometimes my level of vulnerability is too much for people to handle. If it is, find a new church. So um, Crystal, and I, Crystal and I go to the gym, and uh, we go to the gym, I don't know, four or five days a week, and it's always been a part of our marriage. We've been working out since we first got married, and so uh, last month we were at the gym. And um, at the gym that we go to, they've got a, a rack that's about as long as this room full of dumbbells. And so, you know, when you work out, you split body parts, whatever. And so it was bicep day. And so um, Crystal's here, and I'm here, and I'm, and I'm just doing my bicep curls. And they got the mirror right, and I'm just, you know, just kind of doing it. And then just on my right flank here, there was a lady, and man, she was wearing shorts that were about that long. And she was wearing a, she was wearing a top that was about that big and 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 man i 'm just like, "I love Jesus love my wife and all I was looking at is these forty five year old biceps you know what I mean just it 's a window yeah, that's right. listen, man, I guardrails. I don't care who you are, man. That's right. That's right. So we walk over and (laughs) go to the next thing. And Crystal says to me, she goes, Honey, is it hard to work out with a woman like that next to you? I want to say what any man would say. What woman? Remember how I told y'all sometimes I fall into sin? <laughs> she was like, yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, my wife loves me and, and she knows the heart of men and, and my heart's for my wife. It always yes. has been. And she says, you know what, honey, why don't we just come work out at a different time? Because, you know, there's a group of them that show up at a certain time and, and, and i expect that the world is the world, man. Yeah. The world's the world. But she said, you know what, honey, why don't we just come a little bit earlier and we'll get done and we'll get out of there before those people start showing up because I want to protect you and I want to protect us. I want to protect our marriage. I'm like, dude, help me. Like that's a whole lot easier than having to fight. Jeremiah 46, order the buckler and the shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up you horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish the spears. Put on the armor. Oh, I want to end well. I want to honor God with my life. I don't want my life to be a cautionary tale. I'll take whatever help I can get, even from my wife that says, you want husband? I know the heart. It doesn't mean I don't love my wife. It doesn't mean I'm not faithful to my wife. It just means I'm a man. Ezekiel 38, prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about and be a guard for them. See, someone should have said to David that he should listen to a rebuke. That's what they should have said. Again, in verse three, it says, and someone said, that's really the hero of the story to me in this, and that someone said, someone was in the room that said, is this that Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sends for Bathsheba, and someone steps up and says, hey man, isn't this someone else's wife? I know her husband, it's Uriah. He's a good dude. Let's, this is bad. So David sends for Bathsheba and doesn't listen. But someone stepped up. Someone. How different the trajectory of David's life would have been if he wouldn't have listened to this rebuke. The story could have taken a completely different turn. Oh, it's someone else's wife. Okay, okay. (laughs) I don't know what got into me. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Good looking out. Thanks for helping me. Proverbs 27.5 says, An open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Someone cared about David. Someone cared about his future. Someone spoke up. Dude, you do not want to do this. This is bad. This is destructive. Let's flee. Let's go. Let's go do something else. But sadly, David didn't respond to it. He just moves to the next direction. And we see it in verse 4 and 5. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. No pause, no reception, no responding. Set on his pre purposed plan, I am doing this. Someone was a friend, though. We don't even know who that person was. It's not even recorded, but someone someone said Proverbs 27 6 says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful see a friend that loves you will love you enough to tell you the truth they'll love you enough like you know man this is gonna hurt but I want to tell you that you are on a path of destruction and I do not want to see your life be destroyed And if someone has enough courage to come to you and say, listen, man, I'm not trying to get into your Kool-Aid. I'm just telling you, you are on a path of destruction. And I'm trying to bring you back. I'm trying to bring you back to a place where you're honoring God. And and, and what's hard is that unless you have a heart to honor God, you're going to be so uh, resistant to that. You're going to push back on that person. You're going to fight that person. But, but I'm just telling you that, that the, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Some of y'all need to be that someone in someone's life. You've got people that are within arm's reach of you that you know you need to give them a loving encouragement and rebuke and you're not doing it. But some of y'all need to receive a loving rebuke. You've got people in your life that are trying to tell you how to uh, stay away from destruction and put a parapet in your life, and you're fighting them. Oh, who do they think they are? Why are they trying to control my life? You're the one that said that you're a Christian. You want to live according to the Word of God, and now you're living not according to the Word of God. And someone's saying like, hey, man, I wouldn't do this if I were you. And there's a moment, a decision point where you make a decision and say, man, I'm either going to listen to this rebuke or I'm not going to listen to this rebuke. Now, I get it, man. Uh, there's many people that don't like my preaching. Um, and I've heard it throughout the years. And, and, and the way that I preach, man, it's, it's in your face. It's gritty. It's like sandpaper on a sunburn. Like it... <laughs> Like, unless, unless you really want to grow in your relationship with Christ, you are going to reject this type of preaching. You just will. And But as a preacher, I have a decision of, of of what am I going to do with God's word? How am I going to deliver God's word? And I'm human, man. I want you to like me. I want you to think, oh, man, it makes me feel so good about myself. And so, like, I could preach sermons that just massage your shoulders and send you out and be like, man, I'm so awesome. You know what I mean? But I don't. I just. I'm not gonna. I don't read the word and see that. I don't want to stand before God and see all on a path of destruction. And then God be like, dude, what did you do with their time every week? You just sent them out like sheep among wolves, like, saying like, you know, they can just live however they want to live, and somehow they're gonna make the cut. Like I just don't read my Bible that way at all. The truth is, is that I love you guys so much, man, and I try to do everything that I can to encourage you to stay away from sin, and and the reason why and is because I know the guilt and shame of sin. I know, and I've seen the destructive nature of it. Like, would, would you believe for a minute that when you go to the doctor and he looks at the way that you're living your life and says this is going to end in death, that a pastor that lives his life keeping people from spiritual destruction can look at a life and be like, if you do not change this about your life, you're going to spiritually die. The, the end result is hell. This is, this is the path that you are on. And it's because I love you and it's because I love the Lord. It's because I'm going to stand before God one day and have to answer for the way in which I, I spend these 40 minutes talking to you. And I'm either going to say, you know what, Lord, I just did everything that I could to try to get them to love you, to get them to follow you, to prick their hearts so they would be self-reflective. Cause at the end, it's your decision how you're going to live. It's your decision, man. I'm just trying to encourage you to live correctly for Jesus. Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. therefore be zealous and repent. And so I'm coming to you in love and it's for your benefit. But people get so offended about it, man. What's funny is the only people that go get offended about it is people that love their sin. Yeah. People that want to look at pornography, get upset about when you talk about stop doing it. People that don't want to correct their eyes and their minds and their finances and they want to lie, cheat, and steal. All those things. You say, don't do those things. People are like, man, who's he think he is? If you're not dealing with those things, you're like, hey man, someone else needs deliverance today. I want them to be delivered. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If there's anybody in your life, your pastor or anybody else that comes to you lovingly to point something out to you, just receive it. Just be like, and, and don't use that as an opportunity. Like, oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I got some stuff that's wrong with you. Like, No. <laughs> You had the time to go and talk to them, but you didn't have the courage to go and do it. Now they have the courage and you want to turn it back into, no, dude, you just bite your lip and you like, thank you. Thanks a lot. Just move forward. Think about a time you rejected a rebuke and what happened. Or that rebuke never came. I know the, the, the bad things in my life, I've, I can think back and be like, man, I really wish that someone would have came and, and given me a rebuke in due season. I wish someone would have told me my business. Here's the last point. Someone should have told David, don't plan to sin. Don't plan to sin. Because, you know, he comes and receives the rebuke. And then the guy's like, dude, this is somebody else's wife. He doesn't receive the rebuke. And then he takes it and he's got a plan for his sin. So he sends messengers and he concocts this story with Uriah and sends him out into battle and gets him murdered. It's a full-on plan to fulfill the desires of his sinful heart. It's not good. David, you should have not planned to sin. And and the end of the chapter is the end of the story, which is really, uh, honestly, it, it's probably the weightiest scripture in this chapter. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Friend, God is never pleased with sin. Yeah. He never, he never looks the other way and says, "Ah, I'm just going to make an exception in your point." No, he, he never does that. I, he's never please. He will forgive sin, but shall we sin more so that grace shall abound? By no means. Like you don't need to make things up for Jesus to forgive. Like he's bu- he's busy enough, right? You don't have to make more work for him. James 1 15 says, then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin. When it is full grown brings forth death. That's the only thing that happens when you go into sin friend is that it brings death, nothing else, nothing good comes out of sin at all. And we haven't even got into the, what's going to happen in chapter 12 when it comes to this child. But I mean, it's just death. And, and it starts in desire left unchecked that turns to destruction. And 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 for those of us that have ever planned out sin, we know exactly what, what what's being said, right? Like five of y'all. Like I know. Like I know in times of my life where I'm just like, you know, man, I know what I'm doing. Like this is what I'm doing. I'm making a plan for my own destruction. David figured it out eventually. In Psalm 714, he said, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. In Psalm 36... In Psalm 36, uh, I I really, and I don't know the, the timeline of when he wrote Psalm 36, but David became very clear to understand the wickedness in the heart of men. He said, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil." That's the mind of a person that is set on their own sin, that has made a decision and said, I'm going to plan to sin. He and, and David figured it out. This is what the wicked do. They plan to sin. They set the course and go. So what it means to you is very simple. Do not plan to sin. <laughs> Amen, pastor. That's good. If you want out of here, you better start Amen. In. I, I, I know I didn't listen to rebuke or I set myself up in a way where I did what I prepared in my heart to do and the guilt and shame is unbearable in that yeah. moment. Like falling into sin is different than planning in sin but you plan to sin and it's like, dang it, how did I end up here again? Yeah. Got to remind yourselves of Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, death is the only outcome of sin. That's it. There's nothing good that comes out of it. And and again, today, as we're closing up this sermon, I just want to encourage you. If if this is you today, receive the word of the Lord. Receive the rebuke. Receive the correction. This is an encouraging message for someone that came here today and is controlled by sin and you see no way out. This is the word of the Lord coming to you today saying, run, flee, guard yourself, get away from it. There's nothing but forgiveness waiting for you from Christ Jesus, but he wants you to stay away from your sin. He wants you to run from it and flee from it. Romans six sixteen says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slave to obey, you are the one slave you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. We want to be slaves to righteousness and not slaves to sin. And we need to do whatever it takes to keep ourselves from that. I remember many years ago, um, and I've only done this twice in my ministry. And, uh, and it's, it's agreeable. Um, it's not biblical, but it's just what I've done. And so if, if you're offended by it, like, stay in. sin. And um, I remember uh, I met with a guy, and he was talking to me about some issues of his life pertaining to uh, sexual immorality. And he saw himself going down a path of destruction. Me and him were friends and uh and i I thought back to the times in my life when i i really needed a harsh rebuke and and we were alone and we were hanging out was back in the warehouse days i said hey man do me a favor real quick it's like what i said just put your hands in your pockets it's like all right i went pow and i smacked him upside the head with a uh with an open-handed slap right across his face and tears began to streamed out his face he said thanks man right yeah man said, so when you think about the path of destruction, there's more of that coming. And sometimes we need a physical reminder of a spiritual destructive thing. We just need it, you know? And some people say, man, well, that's, that's kind of rude. I don't know. Whatever it takes. We spank our, we spank our children. Sometimes a, sometimes a grown man needs a crisp walk. I took the ring off. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. But he's still married, and he didn't go nowhere with no one that wasn't his wife. So... All right. Would you guys close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Whew. Christ's forgiveness awaits anybody who would turn to Him. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you would say, "Man, Pastor, I need salvation. I need to be saved. I'm not even a, I'm not even on the path. I'm living a, a, a life that's going to destroy me, and you've never made a decision for Jesus. You've never made a decision." You'd say, man, I know I'm not a Christian. I know I don't know Jesus, but I I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to live for Jesus. Not be forgiven and go back to my life of sin, but to change the trajectory of my life. Yes. If you've never made that decision before, if you've never made a decision to say, man, I want to, I want to be a Christian and you need to do that for the first time today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? I want to pray with you? You can raise your hand right now and say, "That's me." Thank you, Lord. Now maybe you've been far from God. And when I say far from God, this is, this isn't that moment where sometimes people come to the altar every week because there's like, man, I had a bad week. Listen, that like go to God every day, and you can come to the altar during worship. But I, the altar, me drawing you to the altar for prayer is because I want you to understand that there's a decision point when you change the trajectory of your life. And so if you are that wandering prodigal, if you are that one that has been far from God, and you'd say, you know what, Pastor? It's been years since I've been with Jesus, and I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to quit fighting him. I, I'm going to live that life of righteousness that he desires. If you need to make that decision today, we want to pray with you as well. Is there anybody that needs to do that? You can raise your hand, and someone will pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I'd like to encourage you, if you'd like to come forward, someone will pray with you. I know it's hard, but it's a decision where you know if you're making your body do what your spirit wants to. You can come forward and someone will pray with you. Honey, will you pray with her, please? Thank you, Jesus. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Now, the end of this sermon Uh, I don't know what the Lord spoke to you. Maybe you're in it and you need to get out. Maybe you're on your path and you need to get back. But whatever it is, man, just confess it to the Lord this morning. Just say, God, please forgive me. And I ain't going back to that. Today's the day. Like, this is it. I'm done with it. But if you know that this week was going to hold some sort of destruction, thank the Lord you were here today and say, God, thank you. And I ain't going down that path. Receive this rebuke today in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your word, God. And we thank you that you're a God that continues to guide us, Lord. And we receive this word today, God. Let our lives be pleasing to you. Let us live for you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Remember, after service, go get your kids right away so that those who are working down there can come up and visit with everybody. Stick around, build relationships with your church family. Uh, Amen. get on the website get on the app and sign up for the men's advance you will love it you will love it and it's going to make a big difference in your life and their family's life and everybody around you's life um so it's going to be amazing let's pray lord jesus thank you so much for this day thank you for such a wonderful word lord god and Lord God, I, I thank you so much that you speak through our pastor and and just pull out truths week after week that's going to change our lives if we only let them. Lord, I pray that as we go this week that we not just forget about what we heard this morning, but Lord God, I pray that we live it out, and Lord, that we share it with others around us. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done for us, especially dying for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream.